Welcome to Everything Hurts. My name is Dan Quintana from the University of Oslo, and I'm here with James Heathers from Northeastern University. How you going, James? Awful. I'm ill. I get more drugs in me than a Australian tourist in Thailand <laughs> or your average Bourbon Street regular. I'm just a bit sick, but uh, you take enough pills, you can roll all that back and pretend to be a human being. Don't really have time to be sick right now. We'll uh, we'll, we'll plow ahead. Will we? Yeah. Well, how we'll... are you anyway? Yeah, good. It's all it's all happening here. Getting a bit uh, a bit colder here in Oslo. Um, but uh, yeah, doing well. Can't complain. You just did complain. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Well, you can't complain very much. Accuracy in all things, Daniel. Do you want to run a science podcast, or is this some kind of zoo? <laughs> speaking of uh, speaking of science, I um came across <laughs> ham-handed segue. Very Go ham-handed. On. I um I came across this really interesting thread which I forwarded to you uh, earlier this week, and uh, it started off with uh, and and it's the one it's one of those threads or one of those ones with the hand claps in between the words, which you may have seen over Twitter. But basically, it's well. We, we can we can all do that now, don't we? Because everyone has two hundred and eighty characticas to uh, to fill the world with some um, more hand claps, insane gibberish. Well, this... so you know, now we have twice as many. So instead of writing two, now you get to you get to write just one. I mean, think of think of the saving on the springs of enter keys the world over. Yeah, or just just the the angry entering. No need to thread anymore. Yeah, but this—it's um, it's an efficiency measure. I reckon they're—they're they're trying to drive out big keyboard. Big yeah, big keyboard. That's uh, that's what's behind it. But uh, th- this particular thread started off saying, um, uh, which we'll link to in the show notes, that uh, scientists should not be required to communicate their science. Now, when I first saw this, I thought, hang on a minute, uh, this this is a bit off. Um, but then when you look further into the thread, basically um, what uh, this person who is uh, Julie Fushi, who is um, O-Captain, my captain, for tw- Twitter name, which I'll, which I'll post on the, um, on the show notes, basically was saying that uh, scientists should be required to share what they're doing, but may not be the proper person to share that information uh, with the public. Uh, more so that um, not all scientists are actually trained for science communication and some people just aren't good at it. Uh, so what did, what, did you, <laughs> what did you think when you, when you read this Some scientists are bad at communicating. Well, will wonders never cease. What did I what? What did you think of this when you first saw this thread, James? Um, I thought that I don't have any problem with that as a premise. Not really. The first thing that I thought was, frankly... Yeah, I thought everyone knew that. Yeah, because, I mean, it's weird in the sense that you almost have this expectation now that all of this should be communicating our science. Uh, in quite a lot of grant funding applications, you actually have to state how you will be doing this. And quite often, you can just simply say, well, we're going to work closely with that press office. But you get the impression that we need to be doing more than that. We need to be talking about our stuff over Twitter, of a Facebook because people are continuously asking about it or because it's simply required it's assumed that once you ask for money to do a thing they 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 presumably want the reach to be as large as possible so you have to justify how it's going to be more broadly communicated yeah, I think a lot of these places it is an actual expectation right. you have to you have you have to actually state how you're going to do these whether people do it is is, is a separate question but um you know, I think in in this way, sure, there are people who just <laughs> who just aren't good at doing this uh, doing doing this sort of thing. So by you know, forcing people to do stuff they're not good at, um, but but at the same time, a lot of people don't actually have these great uh, university PR press offices. Wasn't it you that were mentioning that um, there are now press offices pushing out um, conference abstracts as uh, as press releases? Oh yeah, look, I've. Pay a little more attention to what's happening in university press offices, probably because I had a reasonable education during my PhD of how they worked. Because uh, they were stuck at Sydney for, uh, you you might remember in our in our old department, the the, the word would go around the building like a a, a 
a Chinese whispers kind of style. Hey, there's a journalist in the building. Everyone hide. And people would not answer random knocks on their door. So, I mean, that's that's one attitude to communicating science more broadly and participating in a larger conversation. Hide in your office until it goes away. Uh, certainly, it's a strategy a lot of people have tried. Oh. Uh, Sorry, what was the question? I'm going to ask that a lot today. That's, that's okay. Let's put it this way: quite a lot. Um, when you're looking at the sort of Silicon Valley sort of people working for you know your, your Twitters and your Facebooks, what people are quite often after is what they call a full stack developer, someone that can do all things when it comes to development. Uh, so it kind of seems like the way things are going, at least for scientists, are uh, that this brings a, this comes back to that thread that uh, Ico um, uh, freed. Um, mentioned uh, on a few episodes back, or we, we mentioned. I one prefer of his the name Elko, <laughs> the, the 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 incorrect one. Yes, we're actually, actually going to come back to another tweet. It sounds great. It sounds like an elk flavored soft drink. I, I thought it was Elko to begin with. Hello, Elko, if you're listening. But um, he posted this thing going, "Well, you have all these expectations, so it's almost in the same way that you have these expectations of a full stack scientist, a scientist that can, you know." Decades ago, you just needed to do the science, and you were probably a pretty dodgy statistician, and you know you you were reporting stuff which was probably wrong. No, now you were you... in a completely different grand environment, and um, yeah. the the idea of things being more broadly communicated was not a part of your purview. But now it seems to be quite a fair bit, though. But there seems to be a bit yeah. Of there's, just, there's lots of qualifications to this, and I think you've introduced it very poorly because you're a terrible human being. Um, go on. Obviously, there are lots of... What? Go on. Yeah, I, want, I want to hear your... Uh... That's just my way of expressing myself. You did an, you did an adequate introduction. <laughs> there you go. Um, there are a lot of... There are a lot of areas of science, maybe even most of them, where the conclusions of what you do are amenable to some degree to being communicated more broadly. You can see what you found and what you did. And for a lot of areas of research, there are some massive technical barriers to being able to communicate that. So you can, you can talk about it in terms of, oh, because we found this molecule... And or this protein and did this imaging and stuck it in this model of whatever and did these controls. XYZ Parkinson's disease or XYZ better brand of all-wearing paint or XYZ better ability to remove spectrographs from faraway galaxial objects. Now, the, the, the explanative distance for most people between what you do and what would need to be told to other people. A lot of the time, it's not just a long way. It's very difficult to it's very difficult to turn it into a narrative where you can read it and go, oh, look, it says here scientists have found out that eggs are bad. <laughs> Did you know eggs are bad? Or how do they find out? Well, they put eggs in people and they looked. And some of them stubbed their toe. And that's obviously a bad thing. Eggs are bad. It doesn't work when you are into especially anything with technical statistical mechanical stuff um anything where you are a long way down the field specific rabbit hole mm. i know a ton of people doing research where and this is this is not a slight on their research if it was explained to a degree where anyone could understand it you'd rip the guts out of whatever it actually was in the first place. The vast majority of science, quote-unquote, goes uncommunicated more broadly. And it, the, the difference between it should be open for other scientists, people should be able to access it, and it requires communication in and of itself, these are, these are not the same things. So... I mean, one of the one of the tropes of open access stuff. People people slide towards this a lot of the time. Oh, this is a, it's the public stuff. Anyone can read it. Yeah, they're fucking not going to. You know. Oh, that's a that's a very interesting the way that protein folds. Oh, I had absolutely no idea about that homolog. 
For fuck's sake, most people get in a dictionary out going, well, sorry, go back? Homolog? Is that a log that only likes other logs and not trees? What the fuck is all this? But, but don't you think the onus is still on the scientist, even if they're doing more basic stuff? To because obviously all this basic research, even even if it is research for the for the sake of actually understanding a mechanism, I still think it's possible to actually explain why you're doing this and what the result yeah, is. It is, but you can't explain everything all the time. The the, the expectation that that things need to be all collated and broadly communicated like that. There's there's channels for that within science, and we're both really open science people at this point, whatever the fuck that means anymore. But the idea that it all needs to be loaded up and fired into the public consciousness, if you if you did that right now, there'd just be hundreds upon hundreds of news articles every day about shit that no one's going to read. Not a lot of things have outcomes that you can say, oh, we made a step towards X, Y, Z, we understand that now. Mm. I mean, think about how many people are good at psychom stuff. And then you watch them write about something that you understand very well. And then you look at the article that they've written and you want to go around to their house and rip their mailbox out, go in the front door and hit them with it. But some of them How often does that happen? I know very, very good science writers who've written pieces that drive me absolutely nuts because I feel like they missed the central point of something. So no, that's it... fine. I don't I don't think they need to go to school and do whatever. It's the fact that there's the 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 barrier to be able to explain stuff is is not insubstantial. Now, I I obviously think that there are areas where it's going to be far more common. Uh, anything that can be sort of easily understood and more broadly communicated, right? We asked racists how racist they were, and then we <laughs> stuck them on a computer task where we're confident it has some reasonable mapping to external reality and lo and behold their xyz threshold is different ah okay so easy to explain right also is it controversial is it something that's presently being discussed you you'll notice that uh in climate science um people are perfectly happy to talk about that without actually managing to understand what the hell it is they're talking about <laughs> I told you what I do, and people are like, oh, this, it's nice you're a scientific skeptic, James. Why aren't you skeptical of this paper from a climatology journal in 2012 where they argue about a model? I go, okay, well, when you can explain that to me, when you can explain to me what you think that paper means, maybe we can look at it. No one ever says, oh, yeah, I'm an amateur climatologist. You can't have a fucking amateur <laughs> climatologist. You know? Either you, you are one or you're not. You get the implications or you don't. And... The, the 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 third thing I suppose if we we've got a list it's something that's easily understood something that's controversial um, and something where there's a lot of public interest for whatever reason yeah mm. this is the 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 eggs a good thing yeah now if you worked in one of those areas I think it would be a good strategic move to get out in front of what people will inevitably say about how your research works how it fits into a broader environment you know. Some of the pushback I've had to do in the last few months, and people see stuff that is meta science slash science skepticism error detection, and they go, "Yeah, I knew it. They were all full of shit." <laughs> That's the conclusions that people can draw from stuff that I've done. Now, is there an onus on me to go out and say that is not my point at all? Is should it be required? Well, it probably shouldn't be required, but I think it's a good goddamn idea to do it. Because you don't want people putting words into your mouth. You don't want to become part of the wrong kind of narrative. So certainly there's situations where it's inherent on you to go and participate in that stuff. As much as it's often grubby and awful. I often wonder if these things are becoming more and more accepted, then why aren't they actually being taught in uh, in schools? Or why aren't they being taught in master's programs or PhD programs? Because quite often we have these demands, oh, we, we need to have these things, but then no one's actually training people to do these things. Yeah, there's some, um, that, that happens in, um, there's, there's, there's plenty of uh, science journalism, science comms kind of programs around. Yeah? But yeah. It's not, you're saying it's not a category when you become a professional researchy person. Why do you not get the uh, introduction to talking broadly about your shit 101? We didn't get that. Is that what you're saying? 
Yeah. Sorry? We didn't get that. No, I didn't get did that. You, I was do you telling remember? you remember? Did you even distracted. Did you get this idea? Like, I hadn't even, like, I, I knew the concept of, you know, oh, if you, if you can get your study into the paper, that'll be cool. But this whole idea of science communication, it didn't even really occur to me that much when I was doing my PhD. Yeah, the only reason I had a crash course in it is because the press office wrote around and said, do you have anything that's coming up? I emailed back on a whim, and then before you know it, I'm talking to press officers and journalists and all this stuff is happening, and you can you can learn about it you can learn about it pretty fast. Yeah. But um, I, I think, I think if you want it handled right, the, the the best thing that you can do is have a proper relationship with the people who are writing a story. You know, I don't mean go over and sleep on their couch. I mean, they it, they they need to be invested in being able to get it right. Rather I, than, here's some shit. It'll fill some space in a thing. I mean, their job is filling space in a thing a lot of the time. And your, your shit will do. Someone else's shit would probably do too. Yeah. So, on the basis of we need to say something, it might as well be you. You, you, you probably want to work with that. Because I think I think some people can say, well, it's kind of annoying that uh, some science journals get things wrong, and then we'll you, you might you might say back to that, well, the onus is actually on the scientists to get better at science communication. Um, but then one of the things which came up in this thread were people going, well, essentially now we've this is almost a second job, or you have to actually teach the you teach yourself teach yourself these things after hours you have to become better at science com after hours and uh it's just another thing which is uh loaded onto uh early career researchers who are already overloaded or should this just become part of the thing like is this just something you just have to squeeze in i don't know man i, d- I don't know I, the the only time i'd seriously recommend it to someone you absolutely must go out and participate in the the great monstrous kicking around of half-formed ideas that is the continual boiling sea of ass that is the modern online media uh, if you if you know something wrong is going to happen if you feel like the ideas need to be protected then i i feel like it's very important mm. beyond that uh yeah it's interesting but if it turns into an exercise in box ticking, I do it because I'm supposed to, because my job applications have got a section that says, how often do you communicate your research to the public? Then, I don't know, I, 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 another, another fucking metric, another thing that gets measured, yeah. another thing you can do good or bad at. It, it's you know, similar who, to those. Who, who, who's the scientist you know that does communication of their own work really well? Ah, uh, go on. Yeah, I'm I'm stumped. I mean, there are, of course there are great science writers like you, you know, Ed Yong, for instance, does fantastic pieces on. Uh, you can make anything interesting. Um, but people that actually communicate their own stuff really, really well, I'm actually stumped now that you mention it. Like pe- people, okay. When it comes to actually communicating ideas um, to other scientists, then yeah, I mean, pe- people are doing some really cool stuff, particularly around methods and stats, um, data collider, for instance, like those. Yeah, this th- is this is the distinction I was drawing the other day when I said, "Give me the handle for the Twitter. I want to do a yell." I draw a distinction between science communication and science media. I don't know if this is an official. Uh, Oxford English Dictionary approved delineation and I don't give a fuck what I mean by that is there's scientists communicating with each other better more naturally openly etc etc or talking about how do we do this job how do we manage these expectations how do we all collectively feel normal and have a community of people that talk about the shit we do science media and then the science communication how do we take the outcomes of things that we've done and then tell the whole world about them presumably so a they know because it's intrinsically interesting or b because they paid for it most of the time might as well know and you know these are science media is obviously quite well developed now how many people have you met on the internet that you never met before tons hundreds yeah yeah, I mean, that hasn't happened to me since last Thursday. Mm. Big shout out to Mark and Chris if you're listening. Um, it's, it's, it's not the same. And you, you, your ability to not pick one person out of the air is, um, 
is pretty reasonable, you know? There's not a lot of people who are out there pushing their own media bandwagon. And uh, I think there's also occasionally an inherent distrust of the people who do. Because there is a very strong correlative tendency, don't go on at me about the use of language there, I just don't give a shit right now. There's a strong correlative tendency between a kind of uh, contempt for people who are willing to push their research into the public domain and go with it beyond the the extent of what it can support. Yeah. yeah. There's yeah, a sort everything. of, a, oh, who's this media whore kind of thing? Who's this person pushing their, pushing their shit uphill like that? Mm. And a lot of those people had a tendency to come unstuck. No names, except, you know, everyone who's read my stuff and listens to this podcast knows what I'm talking about. Um, how are you... How are you supposed to stay on top of that? And if you do something really... I mean, say you're doing gene therapy for muscular dystrophy or something like that. You're not going to be able to report, we have stopped all the dystrophies. The the appropriate reporting is going to be, in this mouse model, with this thing that we did with according to the following seven controls, we potentially made progress on model B of how we try to investigate this in the first place. It's as hard as shit. Um, you know, <laughs> I think the one place where people take it really seriously is when they have to communicate it to people who have lots of money. Yeah, so then, you, then you get a, real good. A, a private foundation or a philanthropist or another sort of benefactor, and you <laughs> you take a pretty serious look about how you elevate a pitch that shit. But that yeah. that also is not that many people, because you know those those people aren't going to say. Here is an R01 amount of money most of the time. So you can't do biology, for instance, um, with something like that, unless you're a relatively small lab. Mm. You know, the vast majority of these people are competing for really large government-based program grants. So they don't have that experience of sit in a room, and here's five minutes, and here's some bloaty fella in a suit. Explain everything he needs to know about your model of doing a thing. Yeah, there is one thing. This is a this is this is a good thread. This is a, an interesting series of points. Um, scientists deserve lives too, and putting the onus of communicating their work on top of their other full time jobs is rough. I mean, yeah, uh, in in general, that seems. That seems pretty reasonable. I mean, we, yeah. we have done more than one episode where we've spent a lot of time on how to manage the amount of hours in the day, time management, work-life balance, shit like that. Mm. So, I don't know. What can you... Who's, who's, who's listening if you even manage to do it? Yeah, and I who's going to pay these? Who's going to pay these psychon people? Say we're we're churning out hundreds or thousands of people with good masters who write well, who are capable of grasping scientific complexity. Well, they need jobs now. Yeah, are they all supposed to go freelance? It's a tough life. Yeah, what are they? Who are they supposed to? Oh, they go and work for one of those large media organizations because everyone knows that journalists get it real, real easy these days, and there's so many jobs, and they'll just slot right into one and then uh, start writing about how someone made a new type of plastic where it sings the Marseillaise when you put fucking electricity through it or some <laughs> shit like that. Yeah, it's all going to be perfectly straightforward. I, I think it's, though... a, it's a tricky. It's a tricky problem. It's a tricky problem, and I think some granting agencies are recognizing that. Recognizing that, and I actually saw the um, the ERC. I think they're paying a cartoonist or an illustrator to actually um, look at some of the big grants that they're funding, and they're getting this um, this cartoonist to actually draw up. And uh, they're they're actually making the the the, the driest sounding topics actually quite interesting in the context through this through through these cartoons. Um, and that, that, that's one way of actually communicating science but that's because the ERC has gone to getting alright we need to put aside X amount of money to actually pay a cartoonist to do these sort of things so it's got to come from somewhere I totally agree good well that's one job taken care of <laughs> what about the thousands of others yeah no it's, it's totally true 
look, I don't, I don't pretend to have answers for something like that. I, it, it should, it should very definitely be retrofit in what you need it to do to be able to sustain the the center of your research. Some some things greatly benefit from the people who run them being famous. You know. Oh, she's out there defending her whole program of research and everyone's heard of her and it's a thing and success breeds success, etc., etc. Yeah, okay. Or new ideas, new theories that need broader broader understanding. Everything that's controversial starts out like this. You go, oh, I wish more people knew about this so there was a broader discussion. So uh, people obviously have to make their own decisions on their own circumstances, but... I don't think it should be a, a a requirement, formal or otherwise, that once you've once you've finished for the day, you've got to sit down and try and. Just look, it's it's easy. It's easy for me, right? I've spent a very long time writing. Yeah, and a lot of the time, especially when it comes to HIV and meta science, which I guess are the two things I spend most time on, are easy to explain to people. Yeah. Um, they're easy to they're easy to understand when they when they are explained, and they have a kind of uh, a cachet as people people intuitively get what they are. So I would never give the blanket advice everyone should be like me. What if you you're working on an algorithm to better better retrieve signals from messy fMRI data? Yeah. You but know, I mean, you can yeah. you can you can say the outcome in a couple of sentences. It's clearer. Well, good for you, Fred Sellers. But at the same you time, know, it's quite, what, it's quite what's clear the, the what's implications the of that. that? What are people actually learning? The implications of that sort of things actually is is huge for for diagnostics, but also for research. For instance, but I, I don't yeah, think there are other okay. examples that are as clear cut as that. Well, think of something more random then. Well, you know? I always wonder, like, you know, I think uh, quite often in Australia, the, the one example they often use when it comes to basic science is, what about the invention of Wi-Fi? This was done uh, back at the CSIRO. And do you remember what the original thing they were researching? Was it some sort of algorithm thing when it came to the invention of Wi-Fi? No, of do course you... I don't know that. Yeah. Anyway, it, so I always wonder, like, when it comes to those basic things, like, would, would these people, if there wasn't actually the funding for basic science... Um, would we actually have these sorts of uh, sorts of discoveries? So, yeah, it's actually the answer to that is invariably yes, but later and different. Yeah, you know. Let's think about it now. Two two extra years of Wi-Fi. This is the whole world fucking runs. So you fridges have Wi-Fi now. <laughs> you know. I see you are running out of milk. Do you want more milk? Shut up, you big metal idiot. I'll buy milk when I goddamn feel like it. Back to Everything Hurts. Uh, if you uh, are a fan of the show, um, we absolutely love it when you talk about the show online, on Twitter, on Facebook. Um, we've had a lot of uh, people, a lot, a lot of great feedback from the episode that we had recently for, with episode 52 with Daniel Larkins, in which we discussed how we should determine alpha, alpha thresholds. Uh, thanks to uh, a few quick shout-outs, a few names, uh, Andrew Cochran, Sam Parsons. Sam Parsons always has a lot to say. We appreciate your all the stuff that you share, Sam. Uh, Frederico Dolphy, Amanda Neo, Psych Brief, uh, Kimberly Quinn, just to name a few people. But there's a few comments that I, I want to mention. Did you just specific- go and write all those down? Let's just look at him. He's getting he's getting social. He's meeting people. Yeah. He's getting out of the that's, house. Oh, wait, he's not. He's in the house. That's how you uh, do it. Never but mind. Back it up. There, there is a few, there's a few comments that I want to mention specifically. One from uh, Chris Aberson, who said... Uh, uh, my undergrad came into the office excited about the last Hertz podcast. He loved the conversation and found the guy who was kind of a jerk hilarious. Now, I don't know whether to take umbrage about being called a jerk, but I think I'll take that 
hilarious compliment. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know how you navigate your life sometimes. You know, <laughs> being the being the prick that you are, looking like a thumb with a haircut. It's just it's sort hard. of it's hard bumbling around. It's hard being that guy, but uh, yeah, thanks, uh, thanks, thanks, Chris, and uh, another comment as well. Now, I think one thing that we want I'm to start doing. I'm not a doing... jerk. I'm Australian. There's a difference. There's, there's a, the letters a... are different. There's a big, there's a big difference. But one thing we want to start doing for the show is, um, we're gonna, um, we, we we like some of these comments so much that um, for the best comment that we get over between episodes, we're actually gonna make that the Twitter Twitter bio header. What? Are we? We, we that's what we're gonna do. What if, what if it isn't relevant? Oh, hang on. The best, the best one that is relevant. The best, the best one that's yeah. So not like like the, so, it turns into the the best rude joke that fits into two hundred and eighty characters. You'll use that because no, no. It's, yeah, it's let's. The so, best. This is this is where you 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 and your jerk face come into the the ability to organize this stuff better. All right, we'll do that. I'll trust you. Yeah. So sort we will. We we will pick the, uh, the 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 best tweet. And we had a good one. There was actually a great one. Um, I can't actually find it again. It was someone who said they actually messed up. They they burnt their shirt ironing for a month from listening to the show. But I can't find it. If I find it again, I'll make that the actual uh, the actual header. <laughs> but um, uh, I burnt this shirt. When did that? I've been I've been out of touch for more than a week now. So if that's happened, that is. I mean, I feel I feel a bit sorry for your shirt, but that is that is a good story. Yeah, it's so usually it's usually me that does that. Like, oh, I've got to yell at this person. I leave the coffee on the stove, and you you come back, and it's uh, the temperature of the sun. You pour it into the mug. It eats through the table, and uh, you forget to wipe it up because you get distracted by something else. Yeah, my my whole life is a series of those moments. So, I'm a little bit well, glad and a little bit sorry that you had that uh, experience. You shirt burning maniac. I found a close one though that I could actually find. This is from uh, Sarah. Pedazani, who said, uh, "I had to stop listening to the conferences episode. Gee, that was that was quite a while ago. Delving into the back catalogue, back um, catalogue, back catalogue. With a lot of people are actually doing that now, which is really cool. Um, but anyway, uh, Sarah Pedazani says, I had to stop listening to the conferences episode because I laughed so much about James Heather's ranting that I almost ruined an experiment. There you go, James. <laughs> you ruiner, ruining experiments, messing up with science." <laughs> So I'd normally ruin them by coming into the room. Um, <laughs> it's very strange to be ears. wrecking something remotely. This is um, these are some of the benefits of of living in today's age that you can actually you can be everywhere, ruining experiments everywhere. So that thanks, sounds um, like a like a, a terrible hindrance to progress. Yeah, I'm sorry but, uh, about your experiment. <laughs> <laughs> that would um, that would make a great um, a great iTunes review as well. That um, we're, we're, ru- we're ruining ruining experiments. So yes, yeah, talking um, about science and ostensibly ruining it. Yes, there you go. But, a, we'd replace the tagline a few times. That can be that can be the new one. That that, that can be the new one. Oh, what about our um? What was that about? You said something before about master's students. What was, yeah, what's all that about? Well, something interesting happened uh, about middle of last week. I noticed we were getting a yep. bit of a follower bump. There was a there was a big jump in followers, and usually this might happen, you know, say if we've um, done a new episode or if uh, someone with a lot of followers has recommended the show. But this one kind of came out of nowhere, and it was really strange in the sense that a lot of these people only had about five or ten followers. So I was thinking maybe it was like a, a bot thing that's been happening on Twitter, but then. A lot of the accounts they were following. Pretty were... sure we don't have bots, Dan. Well, I thought it. So I thought people it could that influence the public perception of two idiots in rooms <laughs> on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean, talking that's about I... science and occasionally mentioning it. That that's Go what I thought. Then. I thought it was a bit. Yeah, I thought it was a bit strange, and then I but then I had to look at the people they were following, and a lot of people within um, within sort of the methods sort of game within science. Um, and then I actually put the put put the question out, like you know, what, what's actually been happening? And it actually turns out that um, there's a research master's psychology class at the University of Amsterdam, which is led by uh, E.G. Wagenmakers. Which oh, I so- come on, man! Come on, I know you're not Dutch. I know you, the, 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 surely you know all foreigners talk same. Can you do a little bit better with that name? What, as in normally or a bad attempt at Dutch? Surely it's Wagenmarkers. The, the Aussie. Va- Wagenmarkers. Well, they're da- Dutch, right? he's, not, he's, not, he's not from the bottom of the ocean and he's been hoovered <laughs> into the University of Amsterdam and he's actually a squid. If it's a Dutch name, surely it sounds more like that. 
Yeah, I'm sure that's it. Well, we have to go back. I know I know Daniel Larkin's pr- pronounced it perfectly in the past episode, but he he is running this course and uh, he, he's he's recommended for his um, psychology master's class to listen to the podcast and um, and one of the um, so hello to the class and especially to the person with I, th- I think I cottoned on to the fact that it was actually an assignment thing because one of the followers their Twitter handle was for an an assignment. <laughs> So there was the answer. I hope we're not homework. <laughs> so essentially, like, man, to, to, to think we're at the stage, we're at the stage, episode fifty-three, where we're being assigned for homework. So we hope, hope you're enjoying the homework, especially. Surely this you. is more like a experience science in the world at large, and the way people talk about it and become part of a community, not like study the study the strictures and sage thoughts of daniel santiago <laughs> quintana the thumb with but hair the, the there is actually another class and i think they're actually doing more of that this is a um a master program it's a master program in web science which sounds interesting in itself at th Cole university and i think they've also assigned the podcast um to to their class to have a listen to when it comes to how to actually uh uh, how to communicate uh, science over the web. So um, yeah, hello, hello to the two classes there, and um, we, um, we 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 hope that the, uh, if we're actually being assigned as homework, that it isn't too too onerous to to to, to listen to these these two blokes just uh, rabbiting on. Did you say Colm? K O L N Colm. Isn't that how you well, say it's, it? It's well, it's Cologne in English, but wouldn't it be Köln? Köln, yeah, probably. Um, okay, yeah. Th Köln. There we go. All these European names, Dutch Dan, names, and you live and work in Europe. Yeah, the Nordics. The Nordics. If this was a oh right, the... so if it had nine umlauts and it looked like someone had shaken alphabet soup <laughs> out over a hot pan, then everything would be fine. It would be perfect. Oh, of course it would. It's got to be. It's got to be um, Copenhagen or higher. But uh, th- <laughs> thanks all. <laughs> and every everyone else, Dan will use his sage and dulcet tones to massacre your precious to, town names. Yes, yeah, especially uh, and- especially the Dutch ones. So I'm so I'm sorry to the to the people of the Netherlands <laughs> for these yeah. mispronunciations. But, yeah, I'm putting it yes. in the show notes. Formal apology to people of. To the to the nation of to the nation of the Netherlands to the proud nation of the Dutch. Um. I, yes. So. Uh. Thanks. Thanks for for all that stuff. And keep on uh, writing reviews on iTunes. Keep on telling the world about the podcast on Twitter. Um. That is the best way for new people to find out about it. And uh, you know, just just tell tell people why you like it. We would uh, really appreciate that. But now we're going to move on to the next part of the podcast, um, and this was actually from a, a conversation that was uh, that was started on Twitter by uh, Robin Cock, who was actually our first guest, who is uh, Robin N Cock on Twitter, and he tweeted. Uh, this is actually a few weeks ago, but I thought it was still still relevant. Uh, he tweeted, uh, "We don't need more RCTs. We need better RCTs," which I think is uh, pr- pretty fair. Um, and then uh, Ico, Ico is back. Making a second mm. appearance for, for the episode, Ico uh, Fried um, added a few points on how to actually improve clinical trials, and then another Twitter user jumped in, and his name is uh, Gary Brown, and he said, um, "Oh, you got that right, didn't you? You racist." Yeah, <laughs> 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 Gary Brown. <laughs> Gary Brown, who said, um, uh, quote, your criticism certainly won't have the same weight as someone who has skin in the game. Uh, Whoa, I think this is, that's, a, that's a phrase that's getting a lot of oxygens right now, isn't it? It is. And uh, I think uh, I wanted to swing this over to you, James, because you've been um, looking at a lot of methodologies in uh, or a lot of research in fields which are quite peripheral to to your trained expertise within psychophysiology. Um, and I think this is, I'm sure you've experienced this, but a, a lot of people who kind of experience this go, well, you know, good and well that you're saying this, but you don't have any skin in the game. Who are you from a different field, from a different subfield to actually come along and criticize what we're doing in our little garden? Is this the sort of thing that you've actually explicitly come across in your work, James? Yes. Um, that's been said a couple of times. Um more the the it sometimes comes with a kind of an unstated assumption that is more sort of 
Well, he's not one of us. How could he possibly understand what's at work? And this is uh, this is something that raises my blood pressure for several reasons, as you can probably imagine. I wasn't sure where you were going with that. Um, the first thing is, of course, when you adopt the mantle of public criticism, if you are wrong or unfair or difficult or just missing the point entirely, then you are making criticism in public under your own name. And rather than it being a reputational problem for the people you're criticizing, it's a reputational problem for you. So writing in the middle of, like, pub pub peer, if it's a disposable comment from an anonymous source, I feel like there's a, if you're not conferring your own personal responsibility to the stuff that you're saying, then there's less of it. Ergo, if you're making public criticisms of something, you certainly have some. Yeah? Hmm. Let's just, if you, you can, you, you, you expect pushback and things like that. If you, if you're going to, if you're going to make criticism in the public domain under your own name, if you're going to invent techniques and methods to be able to do that, if you want to have a broader conversation about how it works, it's the it's one of the component parts of being able to take it seriously in the first place. The fact that it's coming from a source that people can actually trust. So yeah, look, I've I've looked at all sorts of things. Bad psych, obviously, but business management, marketing, ecology, uh, cell bio. This is just the stuff off the the top of my head. Do you need to understand everything? You know, are you are you a non-participant in these areas? So you need to shut the fuck up. Well, the response to that is pretty obvious, and it's a problem that uh, a lot of the time the criticisms that are coming back is that you can't fucking add, <laughs> or or you can't successfully deploy a statistical test, or you're trying to hide information that's inherent in the in the actual paper itself. Yeah, uh, those things we know about. So a lot of the time, if you're making criticisms of something and you don't know the area, you don't even read the introduction. Yeah. You read as much of it as you need to. You go straight to the thing and it starts with method and then you start reading. Yeah? If you need clarification on what anything is and then you scroll around. Now, Obviously, there is there is a point, and I've seen people especially do this. This is really, really common in nutrition and exercise phys, where you get these people who go, oh, oh, it's a study on weight loss, but it's in rats, so it doesn't fucking mean anything. Oh, you did this the wrong way. Oh, you used a food diary instead of uh, using doubly labeled water to measure people's caloric output. Blah, 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 blah. As if the researchers don't actually know that. When you're overlooking the practical barriers that researchers face and you're just saying, ah, you know, there's obvious limitations with this. Yeah, they probably fucking do. Yeah? If it's idle criticism, then, yeah, you can start to bring out the no skin in the game hammer. Surely. Mm. Yeah? Look, you know, oh, in, in another reality where I had more time and more money, maybe I would have done it your way. Now, RCTs are a pretty good example of this because I don't know how many of them you've been around, but they're fucking long and they're expensive and they're hard. Yeah? Extremely hard. You need to, there's a million layers of ethics. You've got to pay staff to be able to keep in, in touch with everything. Uh, the majority of the time you're using, uh, you're not using experimental apparatus to measure stuff that you you might want to, because it's all expensive. Like, like, oh, why didn't you do that in a, a, a back to sort of nutrition and exercise phase? Why didn't you do that in one of those calorie controlled rooms where we could accurately measure your caloric output? Because they cost millions of dollars to even have the fucking thing in the first place, and then you and then you need to run it. Because a lot of things need to be approximated. Because a mm. lot of the time you, you end up in these really... I, I feel for people in this situation all the time. They've got enough money to do something, but they don't have enough money to do what they want. Well, I've totally been you there. You have um, to cut corners. So idle criticism on the basis of, oh, yeah, it's not perfect. Yeah, yeah, we, we know. We know it's not perfect. Yeah? Should we do better RCTs? Well, maybe if you did a few RCTs, you wouldn't be so quick to... 
to throw that kind of thing under the bus. Now, that being said, there are huge problems with the way that clinical trials are reported and recorded and done and being occasionally disappeared with outcome switching, which is one of the things that drives me absolutely insane. Do you want to tell people what outcome switching are so I don't have to talk so much? <laughs> so outcome switching, typically with clinical trials, you will need to pre-register what your outcomes are. Uh, most trials will have a primary outcome and a bunch of secondary outcomes. And quite often um, what people will do is they didn't actually find a significant result with their primary outcome. So what they'll do is they'll gussy up one of their secondary outcomes and actually say that it was a primary outcome the entire time. Or even worse, they'll, they'll get another exploratory outcome or some random subscale that no one has ever used before in the history of science and claim that was the one they wanted to do the entire time. And it happens quite a lot. And I think there's a registry for this as well. Do you remember the name of that, James? Nope. There is. It's out there. I don't do clinical people... trials. That's why, I don't, uh, it's why you don't see me criticizing them that often. Yeah, but I mean, and like, like you said, um, clinical trials are extremely, extremely hard on many, many fronts. But quite often, a lot of these criticisms, a lot of, a lot of the in, invalid criticisms are stuff that, like you said, uh, are, are pretty pretty gray. Oh, you know, you should have used this measure and said you, you should have used that. But a lot more of the valid criticisms are actually quite black and white. Like you, you either did outcome switching or you didn't. Yeah, because either... the, the outcome the outcome is you, you, you report in the first place. We think that over period of time A, X will differ from Y, probably a intervention versus control or similar, mm. because we know what we're doing and we're trying to do an intervention. Now yeah. One of the one of the problems that comes in immediately there is the the fact that there's a we live in a culture where these things need to be turned into positive outcomes and sold to other people. It's not enough to say you ran it. It's not enough to say that you were careful that you knew what you were doing. You need to turn it into the special paper, and you need to send it to the fancy place. So people are working the publication system in the way that they feel like they have to because there's no other record of achievement that's the actual thing itself. But I think things are changing. I'm seeing more and more negative or so-called negative studies that are being published. Um, there was a study that was published a few days ago in neuropsychopharmacology that one of the big... Say that again. Neuropsychopharmacology. Oh, quicker. Neuropsychopharmacology. <laughs> <laughs> there, was a, there was a study that was published there. One of the... Uh, potential avenues of, of treatment is this idea that schizophrenia is essentially a disorder of inflammation. And uh, this particular treatment was targeting um, uh, one inflammatory factor. It, I mean, that's the thing. People often see inflammation, they think it's this sort of this one sort of singular entity, but there are so many cytokines there. But anyway, um, this particular study was using one treatment to target one particular cytokine. Um, there's a lot of hoo-ha. Um, it worked really well in animal models of schizophrenia, which in themselves are hard to do. It reliably actually yeah. reduced... Oi, mouse, are you hearing voices? Squeak. That's a yes. <laughs> but, but what you can do within animal models is you can reliably test whether you can actually reduce inflammation. That's super reasonable there. So this thing worked really well in reducing inflammation. Ergo, you give this to people with schizophrenia, reduce their inflammation, and hopefully reduce their symptoms. They randomized it. It was at N of 30, which isn't great, but that's a, that's a different conversation. And it didn't work. Um, it did actually reduce inflammation, but the reduction in inflammation wasn't associated with um, an improvement in, in, in symptoms. And this okay. was a negative result, and it was mm -hmm. published in a pretty good journal. So I think things are, things are changing. Well, I would sincerely hope that in that case, there was something virtuous about that study. That it was well conducted, they had a strong rationale, they measured the right kind of stuff, you know? That is probably a, a you can it, a, a negative result is fine when everything is measured right. Yeah, yeah. When you, you know everyone says that's a the the absolute best way we could have addressed that question in the first place. Everything is appropriately or adequately powered. It's measured for the right amount of time. You have the rationale to use that kind of drug. You did enough measurements. You used scales that were valid, and so on and so on and so on. You spend a lot of time and care and effort and energy pursuing a strong hypothesis, and it doesn't work. Yeah, uh, I would agree with you that more publication outlets and people in general are coming around to, does that have value? Mm. Well, You uh, know, the way that I've handled this 
myself is that you i feel like it's a, it's something of a gimme when you you're publishing something that's on cardiac fizz uh because you you're modifying an effect that already exists so even if you don't find the thing that you're looking for you're demonstrating that you have control over the phenomena that you're trying to investigate it's not a suck it and see kind of thing where you go oh geez i hope that changes you always have a strong rationale because you're dealing a lot of the time with reasonably mechanistic systems. Mm. It's not, does he harbor a implicit prejudice against people who are brown but not black? It's it's not, it, it, it doesn't require you to make difficult decisions about concepts. A lot of the time we're going, look, blood pressure. It did not change, <laughs> therefore the thing. Now, Easy for us, it. harder for other people. Uh, I want to give uh, give, give a good, good example. Um, this this happened in my own field um, a few years ago. There was a paper that came out. Um, I think it was two thousand and thirteen, which was highly critical of the way that uh, the, the peripheral oxytocin is measured in the blood. And when I first read this, I, I saw the first author's name, and I'm like, I've, I've never heard this bloke before. Um, it, it this is this has got to be this has got to be bollocks. Um, and then I actually had a close read of the paper, and I'm like, gee, this is actually really well written. What went back, I saw the second author was uh, Patricia Churchland, who was a neurophilosopher. So the the writing was was top notch. The arguments were very good. And uh, and then when I went through the paper, I actually thought I don't disagree with anything that they've written. And what they were saying was was essentially correct. Um, and they'd clearly put a lot of work into this sort of thing. And the papers actually ended up being quite uh, quite influential in the field that a lot of people refer to it going don't do these things that these people are saying. So I think that was a good example of, well, if you don't have skin in, in, any skin in the game, but if you're correct, then it's not really a problem. But the thing is, when, when you do have skin in the game, you're more likely to be correct when you're making criticisms. But at the same time, you're also more likely to have these biases, whether they're implicit or explicit. Uh, so I think it's a bit of a catch-22 when it comes to having whether you do have skin in the game or that you don't, and um, how that actually relates to the quality of the criticisms for these sorts of things. Is that, I suppose, that you've made to some degree there an expertise-based argument? Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's not it's not necessary to have the expertise. I mean, it certainly would help. And um, I mean, for me, like I, I just knew I was instantly critical because I had, hadn't recognized this name. Um, but um, you don't necessarily need the expertise to actually say something sensible. And I think quite often, it, this comes back to that same thing when, um, when, when you were criticized for a paper going, oh, but you're only a junior sole author. And then your response is, well, tell me where I'm wrong. <laughs> tell, tell me, tell yeah. me where I'm wrong. At. Yeah. Tell that's me the, where the, I'm wrong. The love, that's the lovely thing about being in command of what you're doing, that you can fall back on, you know I'm right. <laughs> mm. uh, yeah, it, uh, se- se- senior it, types love that. It helps. Uh, I got I got a paper desked recently. Um, a very it's a very complimentary desking. Um, sorry, that's a, a I'm talking in shorthand. It was desk rejected, as in it went to the editor. The editor read it and then went, "I'm not sending this out for review." Now this happens to me occasionally, and it's usually a matter of focus. They're not going, "This paper is shit." They're going, "This paper doesn't go within our purview." Either the structure is wrong or the content is wrong for what we feel like we want to publish. Now, it's very difficult to argue against that. You can't go, no, I'll tell you what you want. This is what your purview is. <laughs> I'll tell you what you need. That's like some what's weird, like domestic violence language, you know? I'll tell you what you're thinking. It's just, you, you, can't, you can't say that. It's inappropriate in all contexts. So the, the problem with it, though, is it, it said essentially... Uh, if you'd wrote paper A, uh, that would be better. Or if you wrote paper B, that would be better. And would seriously think about those because um, this is a strong paper with a lot of good points and I don't want to argue against any of that. I think this uh, it's just a matter of how it fits. Now, the only problem with that is the fact that paper A has already been written by someone else. <laughs> And it's it's cited in the literature, and paper B is like six months of work to start from the beginning and and gather a a, a set of co-authors that could stride godly on the surface of the sun itself. It would be a much more high-powered, uh, differently focused kind of paper, um, and a lot more work than the original one was. So, what are you gonna do? uh 
send it elsewhere because there's nothing wrong with it. It's this is it's always a problem when you've got papers that need to find a home. You know, I know this is a uh, there's there's nothing there's nothing wrong with it, and um it's it's nice to have that conveyed back to you, but you know it needs to it needs to find its audience in that kind of way. So. I'm thinking well, about the editor's role in that and having, like, being involved in it. Now, they haven't read paper A and they haven't given a strong consideration of how long it would take to write paper B. But mm. they don't give a fuck, you know? They're not involved in... They're not, they're, all, they, all, they, all they care about is curating the appropriate content for their outlet. And that's what they're paid for. So it's not their problem anymore. Have you ever? It feels pretty skinless. Have I ever? Never have have I ever. Have you you ever ever appealed appealed an editor's uh, decision? Editor's decision or an editor's desk rejection? Uh, Decision. Yes. How'd it go? Um, It's worked a few times. Um, Worked as in, you know, you have a... Look, reviewers can be very heterogeneous and it can be a difficult management job for an editor to think about how your relationship between the journal and the reviewer and the author are all going to be maintained. So, I mean, for instance, if they've got someone who does a lot of reviewing for their journal and they send them my paper and... My paper is like I'll back it a hundred percent. It's all good, and then senior author of many other papers does not like the paper. Does a lot of reviewing for the journal and has their own relationship with the editor. The editor can't go, yeah, well, let's just put this one down to your old and dumb, and I'll get on with my life. <laughs> you can't do that because then it's going to appear in the journal. They're going to go, hey, um, I I I said this was terrible. You have to, there's a sort of an element where you need to keep people on side so the whole enterprise works to start with. Yeah? It ain't, it, it's no, there's no, no rejection is attached to the paper. Once it's, you, you very rarely find out where something's being rejected from. It doesn't go on the paper itself. And there's no, you could, you could let go the best thing in the world into your journal. It could turn up, it could be some serious Nobel Prize shit. Yeah? And if you bounce it and you're an editor, there's no, there's there's no subsequent reaction to that. No one goes, oh, how possibly, how could you possibly have made that decision, you idiot? You can't lose prestige for chucking stuff out. And it also, you know, these people are very, very busy. They're trying to make decisions with limited information quickly about seriously complex shit that's coming across their desk. So, yeah, no skin in the game, maybe. Certainly there's no consequences for throwing anything away. Hmm. Except, you know, the journal acquires a reputation, maybe, eventually, but even that is so... I mean, it's so dependent on reviewers more than anything else. Yeah. No, I was just thinking about that because I saw a thread uh, where people were discussing that um, a lot of people almost always uh, appeal their rejections. Um and uh, that uh, they, have, they have this expectation that editors almost expect you to do it for this sort of thing. And I don't know. Yeah, I think that changes a lot depending on the area. Yeah, like th- there's one paper that I did um, that it was it was rejected after second revision, and in retrospect, I'm kicking myself. It's too late now because it's already published somewhere else. But in retrospect, I'm absolutely kicking myself for not even giving it a go and and appealing it because a lot of it was down to you know clear misinterpretations from from the reviewers when I can say well they thought this but the you know they misinterpreted because because it, it meant that and uh, that, I mean it was a really really good journal and I just missed out but I didn't do anything but if I knew that sort of that it would you know had the potential to 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 get in if I was appealed then I would have completely changed it so. Side, I don't know. side note, do you find yourself getting bugged more and more to return reviews on time? Uh, no, no, not really. Okay. I Are you finding a distinct that more? uptick in that? Um, what, as in like 
get him in before they're due, or your views are like get him back ASAP. Reminder, reminder. Wait, if you if you nail the time down to start with, like when do you have time to do this? And I'm like, well, I could do it now if you want me to do it badly. Um, yeah, if you want. But you go away. They don't know where you are. You don't put an out of office on, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But seriously, there's some of them are. They're they're protecting their. They they know that the time it takes to get something back is a is a metric now, so they hand that responsibility <laughs> over to you. Now I've come up with a really simple solution for this. Every time you send me something that says "hurry up with your review." I listen to music while I'm doing the review that is increasingly more and more and more and more intense. So if you send me four or five reminders, I will be listening to I will I will be listening to something really really awful when I do that review and if there's <laughs> anything wrong with it, I'm going to point it out in language that's going to make you uncomfortable. You should uh, hold up a sign of you describing that on your Publons profile because that seems to be how these editors are finding you. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how. Uh, I don't know how much more sort of weird I can make my Publons. I'm already wearing a tiara <laughs> in my Publons. Is it still, is it still know, there with the tiara? Start out. We're going to start out with classic heavy metal, and then you, you start bothering me when it's a day overdue. You know, when I'm ill and I got grants to write, then we're gonna we're gonna progress from that to something that's a, the, a little bit more sort of guts to it, or maybe some sort of uh, '90s, early 2000s period stoner rock. And then we're going. You you stop bothering me after that. We're going to straight death metal, and then if there's four or five, we're going something truly disgusting, like <laughs> fuck pig, disfiguring the goddess, something really really awful. You know. Be- beware editors <laughs> no it's more you, you know it's like you gotta you gotta you gotta stir the pot that's uh i see your i see your point i see the problem of coordinating these things i see editors complain people who edit journals oh i sent out 10 I, I spent a long time finding 10 reviewers and they all said no I don't have that problem. I, I don't know. Maybe well, I'm Well, you just don't run so- a fucking journal, Daniel. Of course you don't have no. that problem. What are you talking no. about? I'm an, I'm an associate editor, and I have to find reviewers for papers. More arse than associate. What was that? Nothing. Yeah. I yeah. No, but it's, it's, it's always my responsibility to find, um, to find um, reviewers. And I find um, that if I just put a little bit of time into the actual introduction email going, hey, like... I'm not sending a, a blast. This this isn't some frontier stuff where I'm sending out a, a thousand emails hope, hoping to get one bite. I've specifically <laughs> think that you're great for this paper because of X, Y, Z. Honestly, I'm getting about a 70% hit rate of yes by doing that. Oh, good Lord. That is quite high. 70%. Um, when that, I actually sounds, say, that sounds like less work, Daniel. It is less because, work. Because, I mean, so, you actually what, have to physically locate the people, but I mean... Okay, so basically... It's it's a case of putting... I, I find the people, and of course, there's a little bit more time actually writing the email, but it's so much save time in finding another sort of 10 people. And this, this way of actually personalizing the invitation, just a little bit, just a little bit, they actually go, hey, like this is why I think you're great for this paper. And I think you'll find it interesting based on your track record. Yeah, you're not just you're not just saying that. You are locating people who you honestly think would have a yeah, personal sure. interest in the paper being correct. For sure, um, and then um, I'm probably at the moment hitting about uh, hitting about seventy percent. So, um, but may, may, maybe it's a it's a field thing. This this is within soccer fizz for, for for these papers. So, um, All right. yeah, it could be a field thing. So I yeah, like I the know. fact you never send me anything to review, James. But I do. I've said this before. <laughs> oh yeah, that you just get other people to do it for you because you're a colossal coward and you don't want to piss me off. That's that's no, fine. I, you can have any it, perspective you like. It's not a problem. I'll, um, when when I have stuff that that's relevant, there was uh, there was a recent one that came across that I was thinking about sending to. Uh, I won't say it on air because it's still well. You can't. It's pre publication. You can't land them in that. Exactly. Uh, anyway, um, there's uh, yeah. So there's the there's a, a. I find that it works for me anyway. Um, so well, it's yeah. good. That's technically what you're supposed to do. It feels pretty responsible. Yeah. Responsible ish. Um, yeah. But it, it takes so much more time than I anticipated. I thought um, being doing this um, associate editor business wouldn't take up that much time, but believe it or not, 
it's uh it's pretty time consuming but it, no it's, it's... i i i believe it this is uh yeah. it's there's a lot of procedure involved you know there's a lot of it's not a particularly streamlined process a lot of the time and there's an awful lot of it the the bulk of everything grows all the time um out of the size of the infrastructure with which we have to assess it and publish it so you know everyone should just stop trying that's my point (laughs) let's just preprint everything and then forget down down with abandoned journals oh yeah well (laughs) that's gonna have to be a topic for another episode even if you're not being serious which you're not because you're doing uh, that smile that I'd normally associate with a man in a plastic Macintosh in a children's park. <laughs> I think I think the wheels are falling off now. We're gonna we're gonna oh, wrap the, up. The, the wheels are well off. The, the carriage well is off. skidding on the rails. We've been on, we've been on the uh, the chassis for the past hundred meters. <laughs> we um we're gonna wrap up for today. Thank you for listening uh, to the show. Um, tell your friends, and um, we'll be back again very soon for an episode if you've got any more ideas for any guests that we can get on the show um or any any um suggestions let us know i know a few people actually sent in some suggestions for stuff to talk about we covered one of those things which was the new 280 character limit on twitter you heard our thoughts there was a few other things that were sent which we would um hopefully we can swing back to because they're a bit more in depth but um please keep them coming we do we do read them all and um we uh yeah we thank you for sending those things in and uh sending us stuff I think we'll uh, say bye for now and uh, we'll be back soon. See you later. Yes. Toodaloo.